the journal, yin and yang, and knowing yourself in that we're all programmed for something. And it's not necessarily that we want to deprogram entirely, but we want to make our programs help us reach our goal. So if our goal is selling a book and we have reactions that are going to hinder us selling that book to more people, we want to wipe that out. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Magical Writing Podcast, the show where we illustrate some occult philosophy in order to help us become better writers. Uh, I am with my amazing co-host, S.C. Mendes, author of The City, and I am Joseph Sale, your friendly neighborhood mind flayer. And uh, today we're going to be continuing our theme of polarity, I believe. Yep. Awesome. So last episode, we talked about what polarity is and the importance of not becoming too polarized. So I guess the logical follow on from this is how do we depolarize uh, or how do we broaden our awareness? I love that. Broadening the awareness. That's that's a good way of phrasing it. Um, And yeah, I can't stress this enough. If you didn't watch episode one of this or part one of this, go back and check it out. (laughs) Yeah, because it'll it'll feel like you're coming right in the middle of something otherwise. For this, when you start to depolarize or if you do any magical work, one of the first things um, they tell you to do is get a journal and start journaling. So I will give that caveat here first. In fact, maybe I'll give three. Get yourself (laughs) a journal to reflect in. It's so important. Um, And I know I remember me being a male. I always used to think, you know, keeping a diary was more of a feminine thing to do. There again, right there is a very polarized, I was against something because I thought, oh, guys, don't keep diaries, but get yourself a journal. Um, and I would, I would suggest that they write all of these thoughts and reflections down in there rather than sharing it with other people. Because when you start to share it with other people, well, I guess the very fact, like when you make a revelation, right, whether it's in a movie or a book or something happens to you in life, you want to tell other people because you're assuming they'll say, oh, wow, that's really awesome. I had a similar thing. But on something like this, when you are depolarizing and trying to become more aware of everybody's perception, going to somebody to tell them your great revolution or revelation is going to have them say something back to you. And it might not be what you wanted. You want to keep (laughs) this into yourself. So, in all magical work, start your journal now. There is definitely something to the caterpillar who goes into the cocoon, right? Mm -hmm. You don't see that transformation, you don't get to see what's happening. You just see the end product and you see what they were before. So kind of do that. Uh, A visual, because we always like to have visuals in this. If you have your written work, try to, well, at least for me, bringing up the yin and yang symbol is so powerful Mm -hmm. of a symbol for me when I'm thinking about polarity. Because, um, and I guess if we're on YouTube, we can show maybe an image of this, but the yin and yang in the black half, you can't say it's all black or it's all bad because there's a little white dot in the middle, which Mm. means there's the seed of something good in there. By the same token, the, wow, this is the good side, quote unquote, there's that black dot, which means there's something dangerous or bad in it that you need to be aware of. And that's very helpful for me so that I don't get pulled too far to one side or the other. Mm. Um, The last thing I would say, which I think we talked about in our very first interview of knowing yourself. Um, Obviously this whole thing is about knowing yourself And you said uh, becoming aware. It makes me think about robots, almost like Mm -hmm. an AI. Oh, the robot became self-aware. How did it do this? 
you're kind of going through that right now. Now, I don't want to say humans are robots, but in a way, there's a there's a very robotic part of our brain, right? We have different parts, and I will oversimplify greatly here, but there is this reptilian robotic that is programmed for survival. And it kind of goes right down your spinal cord. It connects right in there at the base. And that's the one where, have you ever been like cooking? Like you got a huge meal you're doing and you've got like eight pots and pans going at one time. Something comes out of the oven, but you can't remember because you're doing so much, which pan was hot or not. And your pan will touch one and you've yanked it away before you've even realized if it's hot or cold, right? <laughs> yeah. That was a brain yanking it back saying, nope, you've had this burn before. It's telling you you need to survive. We have the same thing in other aspects of our personality. Something happens to us, we immediately react without thinking about it. Um, and these reactions have become wired to another part of our brain, the mammalian, that has emotions and feelings in them, right? And so rather than being worried that we're burning our hand, we suddenly take these things that happen in our life, like the political stuff we talked about last week, or... Um, oh, you know, if we're talking about books, a bad review or something like that, it automatically triggers an emotion as if we've been attacked or if we're going to burn our hand. Become aware of that. And in a way we are, we're deprogramming it to a point um, and reprogramming our reactions. So those are the three things I'd like people to think about today. Starting a journal, beginning yang, and knowing yourself in that we're all programmed for something. And it's not necessarily that we want to deprogram entirely, but we want to make our programs help us reach our goal. So if our goal is selling a book and we have reactions that are going to hinder us selling that book to more people, we want to wipe that out. So I guess that's the starting point for it right there. Um, with that in mind, what can we do? My first thought was you got to read more negative reviews. <laughs> do you do that, Joseph? Do you ever like go through and read those one-star reviews? I do. I do. And, um, you know, the sin of pride is strong in me. Uh, well, the the oscillation between outrageous ego and crushing um, lack of self-esteem, you know, the, the two. I have both both polarities and uh, yes. trying to find a place more in the middle because because the other side isn't good either. But, yeah, it is it is an interesting exercise. And I think it's it's very important uh, thing to do, but it's not, not an easy, it never gets easy. And I think he, clearly you see really big authors, filmmakers, whatever, kicking off because some guy on Tumblr gave them a bad review. And you think, well, even they're not, they make millions doing what they're doing and they they get sensitive about it. So. Yeah, um, how can they be so sensitive? Yeah. <laughs> but I'm glad you said it's, it's something that everyone struggles with because originally I want to say, oh, younger writers and then I was like no you can't say that because I, I feel the same way sometimes and we do we go through it um so in an interview I did last week with um one of the people from mom her name was Christina Pfeiffer uh mothers of mayhem so they Jeez. like uh, kind of splatterpunk stuff she was interviewing me and she asked the question what's your favorite short story that you've written I was like you're not gonna like my answer because it's every short story that I'm currently writing yeah. is always the best it's the best thing since sliced bread Obviously, you're writing it. You're pouring all this time and effort into it. You must think it's amazing. Then I've had moments where I put the story aside. It gets published. And I look back later. I'm like, oh, that one really sucked. Why did someone start with that story, you know, when they were introduced yeah. to my work? or that? So you're, we, we, not you, but we are too emotionally attached a lot of times to objectively perceive it. 
So it's good to read all those one-star reviews and just see what people thought and not getting mad about it, but just reading it and absorbing it and taking it for what it is. And if you can find something in there that helps you out, great. Or if you could see why there's like, um, a, maybe you find a trend, right? That a certain type of reader always finds this problem with your writing. So is it really a problem with your writing or is it something in that particular person? So definitely read the negative reviews of your own work. Outside of that, to broaden, I guess, a little bit more, check out positive reviews of things you don't like. So <laughs> I tried to, yeah. I, I guess that was even harder, right? That's like, amazing. If you really hate a certain band or a certain movie or whatever, start looking at the people who love it, especially if it's super trendy. I will expose myself when I was younger. I was all about like a certain very heavy metal lifestyle. And if it wasn't what fell into my box genre, it was crap. And I didn't appreciate a musician for being an amazing musician just because I didn't like their genre or their form of, you know, medium, whatever it was. But if you can start to see what other people like in it, that's fantastic for you. It opens that awareness. You stop being so polarized to one side or the other. And depending on what your goal is, you can really look into some like trends that people like. So maybe if your goal, rather than just writing a book that you love, let's face it, some people, their job is, I want to be a, you know, an author who makes a living out of this. You can't always write what you want, I guess, and expect everyone to love it and be a best-selling author. You sometimes have to write what the people want. So that's really good in that regard. Uh, the second thing that I would recommend that people do is find trusted beta readers for your story. So these are people who read them before the general public or get in touch with a writing group who you think is willing to tell you the truth about your work. Yeah. That's always difficult, right? Even with friends, you think a friend will tell you the truth, but they know all the blood, sweat and tears you put into this. Yeah. So maybe you're better off with the writing group who it's like our job to all tell each other the truth about stuff. Um, the other way this can help to depolarizing you, um, and again, I'll, I'll relate to something um, in another episode I had, I, I do a, a show called Horror Business, which we have to have you on there sometime. <laughs> That's very kind. I don't know how much I could uh, be an authority on the, the business side of things, but it's an amazing show and definitely people should go and watch that because it's full of fantastic advice for uh yeah i'm 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 a couple of episodes behind but it's um it's amazing stuff so uh, and it's one of those uh shows where you take your your notepad and your pen to uh because you're actually yeah, gonna you're not just going to be entertained you're going to write <laughs> stuff down and and really learn something yeah that's so it's, it's labeled as education because you can when you pick like on youtube's and podcasts i'm like well this is educational only so readers you're not going to find out a lot of great stuff about me but authors yes uh, and one of the things we do on there is we don't give people an answer. And I think that does bother some people because they're very used to saying, this is what you do. This is what you don't do. And when you're in these writing groups, you watch these other podcasts that are educational. You start to find out. Um, and I think someone mentioned this in one of the writing groups that I was in. They said, yeah, it seems like there's no one right way to publish a book. <laughs> That's absolutely correct. Yeah. So what worked for me won't work for someone else. The best I can do is tell someone my experiences. So if you get in these groups, you get to hear from all these different people and they, trust me, they want to tell you. So they might be polarized. <laughs> you be unpolarized. They might say, when we talk about social media, they'll say, oh, you've got to be on Twitter. If you're not on Twitter, you're a fool. Well, guess what? I don't care for Twitter. There are reasons I don't care for Twitter. And it doesn't gel with my personality and I know myself. So that doesn't work for me. Stay off of it. 
But it's good to find out why people do like Twitter because if it gels with one of your personality traits or you've got someone um, in your corner who's a supporter who can be on Twitter, maybe they can help you navigate that and be like your cheerleader in the Twitter arena while you do other stuff, you know, where you are better at. They'll tell you why they love self-publishing or why they'd never self-publish again. And you just get to sit back and objectively say, oh, that's very interesting. Oh, thank you very much. You don't have to weigh in and say it was good or bad. And then you get to test all these things out and get everybody's experiences. So again, it's kind of seeming weird. You're this boyer in the room looking and everything. You're listening. You contribute, but you don't contribute so vehemently as these other people do because you want to learn from them. Um, and I guess the last thing, we as writers, I think we do need to be on social media at some point. It is good to step away, to detox. But when you're on these platforms, and people send you friend requests, I would say accept them. Mm. Accept them no matter it, what religious background they come from, whatever socioeconomic background they come from, what political background they come from. They reached out to you for a reason. Maybe they simply just wanted to get to know you and see if you were as crazy as some of the books that you wrote about or find out something. It doesn't matter though. They took an interest in you for some reason. So watch their feed, accept them as a friend and see if you can check out their newsfeed without being triggered or feeling the need to verbally interact with them and tell them they're wrong about something. That makes sense. Mm. You can see all their stuff about, we talked about what was polarizing, right? COVID and religion and politics, all the things we just mentioned over and over again that trigger people. See if you can just empathize or understand their point of view while still disagreeing with it internally. That's super important. I'm not telling people you have to change your mind. I'm saying you have yourself anchored somewhere, and let's say it's something you completely disagree with. Could you still understand why that person has that viewpoint? Mm -hmm. In literature, I guess this is like a villain, right? When I read a villain, and I've gotten so much feedback sometimes from fans and reviewers like, why did this villain do that? Well, he was a bad guy. It's not like I was condoning it. He's a villain. <laughs> That's what he does. Yeah. So... You know, but if I get their backstory, and there's a couple authors who do this so well, and sometimes the story calls for it, sometimes it doesn't, but in a novel, if I can understand why a bad guy is bad, it messes with me. And I actually really like it, but I also hate it. That's what makes a story more powerful. And if you can make a reader almost identify with the bad guy, you've really opened them up to self-reflection, and you didn't just entertain them, you might have possibly changed their life. So those are the three things that I would say to start with that are very tangent. They're not in the metaphysical esoteric realm. <laughs> you can do those yeah. today, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that That's really fabulous. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I totally agree that uh, like villains are meant to uh, be our, our shadow self. They're meant to challenge us and poke holes in our philosophy. And um, you know, as you say, a lot of people now say, oh, this character did this and I don't agree with that. But that is like the, the purpose of a villain. It's the, their job to like hold up that mirror and um, show us a side of ourselves that we don't really want to look at too long, but is there um, regardless. Um, Absolutely. Um, which now I get to kind of be the interviewer and give you a question because you know a lot about getting into characters' heads and that's really important. I think we talked about the fact that sometimes when we write characters, I know for myself this happens, I write them a lot of times as how I want to react, which is really, really <laughs> bad. It's not good uh, because I, I don't want to be these characters. They need to be a villain. 
And so you have uh, an activity that you shared with me that I thought was awesome. And it was about mind mapping and kind of how you can step maybe a bit into the character's mm. head because you've got to get out of your own. So yeah. could you share with us how mind mapping works um, and the ability to use that to motivate a character? So, uh, in fact, um, you, you say mind mapping, but uh, we more specifically, because obviously a lot of people have heard of a mind map, but we have what we call a motivational map, which is uh, was actually um, created by my father. So massive nepotism here. Like <laughs> I, I do have a stake in this, but, um, <laughs> but it's an amazing tool, uh, evidence-based tool. There have been five books published on it by Routledge, which is one of the biggest academic publishers in the world. It's a really... Uh, incredible way of looking at human motivation and it's different the key thing to start with is it's not like a personality profiling tool because that is measuring the 20 percent of you that is more kind of genetic biological fixed so if you know you're an infj whatever myers-briggs uh, <laughs> you can't really do much about that it's like that's what you are live with it uh, right. your, your motivations change over time. So your motivations are experiential. So they're the 80% of you, the much larger chunk that is actually informed by your experience. So that's the, a, a key thing to say about it. The second is that uh, it doesn't stereotype because we have what, what, what we've identified is that there are nine energies that drive human behavior. And we actually have all nine of them. All of us have all nine. And these are based partially drawn from Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So they're based on like secondary needs. So primary needs are like food, shelter, uh, water. But one, once we've met those needs, we have these secondary needs like the need to belong or the need to make a difference or the need to get recognition uh, or the need to have control. Uh, <laughs> So once we go to this secondary, but don't get me wrong, they're secondary, but very powerful. And yeah. they can drive us to do extreme, wonderful and terrible things. Um, and when they're not met, when we don't meet these motivators, uh, we, can, we become incredibly low energy. Uh, we can even go into massive spirals of depression. And so the first step, as you say, is know thyself, is to find out what your own motivators are. So you have, you, we all have all nine, but we have them in an order and uh, we give, so we give them a priority. So the way you can do this, and I'm um, taking this directly from the book, got to do the little uh, promotional <laughs> segment here, but it is a, I'm biased, but it is an absolutely awesome book. Um, and if you're interested in psychology, uh, then you will get a huge amount out of this. Um, Could you um, hold it up one more time, Joseph? I don't mean to derail you, but yeah. I'm seeing it. Okay, and I was also looking where the dots were and seeing if I could find some kind of map, just maybe a bit <laughs> yeah. with the geometry of it. Okay. <laughs> maybe you, you'd be very interested, I think, in the colors because um, they're very significant. So you have this, it's nine motivators, which is in three sets of nine. Okay. So we have three blue motivators, which are, uh, growth so they're about personal development self-reflection we have three green motivators which is about uh their, their relationship motivators so like belonging security mm -hmm. 
recognition. And then we have three red motivators, which are about achievement. These are your work motivators in a way. So, um, uh, you know, the, the, the color, the color significance and all that is very interesting. And then the three divisions as well, uh, which starts to get into mapped quite yeah. interestingly to esoteric uh, stuff, you know, mind, body and soul, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot um, there to unpack. Uh, I should say Thank you for indulging me. I didn't mean to take you on a tangent, but perfect. No, not okay. at all. <laughs> it helps all, all right, gives context, doesn't it? To um, Always. Um, so so the, the exercise is really simple. I'm so I'm going to read it out so I get it right. But it's make a list of three things that motivate you at work. Try to keep the three things at a high generic level. For example, going for a pizza every Friday with the team might be what motivates you. But that's an extremely specific example. At a high generic level, this might be friendship or belonging or being sociable. Uh, so, or you might write down that the excellent pension arrangements in your current job motivate you. And so what is the underlying motivator from that specific example? In this case, it might be a long-term security. So you put them in rank order of, of priority. So you, you take your three, what are the three most important, then you put those three in an order. And then you're going to get the best way is to do the test because we are have a famous blind spot about ourselves. Of course, we always, you know, oh, yeah. uh, the, the back of the hand <laughs> example, you know, consciousness is like a hand. It, it can grab other things, but it can't grab itself. Um, but That's so good. so the best way is to do a test. Uh, but if you do this exercise, you may get two out of three or you may get you may get relatively close to discovering what your kind of underlying. You may begin that journey of self-knowledge. But then the really interesting part comes, as you were saying about broadening the awareness, is taking it out and thinking, well, what about your co-workers? What about your boss? What about your clients? What about your friends? What about other people? And then doing the same exercise for them and actually trying to figure out what their three motives. And then, of course, you'll notice interesting uh, patterns. So I won't go in detail of all the nine motivators because we don't have time or space. But for example, the spirit motivator desires freedom and independence and autonomy. Uh, so if that was your number one motivator, you're a free spirit. You probably like to go traveling a lot. Uh, that really energizes you. You like to have control of your own time. But the director motivator likes to micromanage and have control of resources. So when you have a director motivator as a middle manager in a company managing somebody who is a spirit motivator, this is going to cause massive problems because um, the director wants to control people and things and the spirit wants to be free. Um, it sounds obvious, but it's amazing how blind we are to these very simple things. And we tend to conflate these energetic uh, uh, clashes with political or sociological or personality things. We say, oh, um, this person's aggressive. Or actually, that person may not be aggressive at all in many other contexts. But when they feel that their energy is being blocked, their, their drive to to direct or to, to be free, uh, that's when we see a form of aggression or that's when we see, and of course, if you gain awareness of this, then you can handle these situations a lot better. 
And the final thing to say about this is uh, the Alan Moore quote, words give the means to meaning, and with that comes the enunciation of truth, uh, is uh, that when we have a language and a metric, it becomes neutral. So rather than me saying, oh, uh, I don't like it when you control me, SC, instead I say, well, you've got a director motivator, I've got a spirit motivator, how can we resolve this? So it creates a neutral language that you can actually talk about these things openly uh, yeah. without running into the risk of offending people or having arguments or, or, or it getting personal. It's not personal. It's about these, these energies that we all have. Um, and the, uh, the final thing actually I should have said earlier is of course, all the motivators are equal. There's no, oh, well, you're a creator motivator. That's better than a builder <laughs> motivator, which is like builder in the more, uh, a monetarily motivated person like they want a a physical manifestation of their success whether it's a house or it's a car or it's a it's a, a bottle of wine or a pay, you know big paycheck like that they right. want that but that it, it you know these these things are all level man there's no hierarchy or priority it's just where you're at now and it can change so um, when we we give that, them the meaning right yeah. we give them the meaning it's important to us yeah and that's another key thing is when you you can just do the map and you get the report and the report is incredibly useful and that's if you did that you'd get huge benefit but we obviously have coaches who go through it with you and explore well what does this motivator mean for you because it is different for everyone and um, one person's builder is not not the next person's builder so yeah. Um, I hope that was a, a comprehensible overview and um, uh, work to answer the question about how we can use uh, the, this concept of motivations, which which underlie values, which underlie personality to to kind of really get a sense of where people are coming from and, and why these behaviors are happening. And, and and in turn, of course, we can use that in fiction. I'm getting ahead of myself with that, but uh. <laughs> no, um, this, this is really good. I think you explained it really well. And it already like sparked off some things in my head that I was thinking about it. You know, our societies also have, as you were saying, we have almost unspoken motivators in our world. And I think a lot of times some of the depression for people is when they get into, I don't know what, I mean, you didn't just get into the society, but if you get into a job where their end goal, sometimes the conflicts we have is because the end goal of a company is money. That is their motivator. They have it written into a corporation's thing is they have to do what's best for the company's shareholders, which is money. Yeah. If you're someone who really wanted to expand or grow, or you're the spirit one, and you just want to make the best product, you might really do miserable at this company yeah. who didn't actually care about the best product. They said they did, but they cared yeah. about money. It's really interesting because they they can we can literally show this now through data. So companies will say these are our values: integrity, creativity, and you know sociability or whatever. Then you do a map on the entire organization. You map two thousand people, two hundred people, whatever. Analyze. You can put that into an organizational map, which collates all the data. And you say, actually, their, their, their number one thing is, is something completely different. So actually, how are the values being lived if those 2,000 people are actually all motivated by something else? And as you say, you map the top, the top brass, as we would call it here. Mm -hmm. You map the CEOs, the SCFOs. They're all builder number one. 
then you map all the people at the middle level and they're all something else. And then you map all the people at the kind of, uh, you know, the implementation level, they're something else. And then you think, well, no wonder these people cannot communicate with each other. Uh, they are all completely coming from a different headspace. So with with the visibility and the, the motto of maps is uh, making the invisible visible. Um, oh, I like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, and of course, there's it is an esoteric <laughs> connotation to that as well, of course. But, you know, with manifesting what, what is unseen, which are these these energies and these human drives um, really can open doors for for amazing corporate. And of course, some people as well it, it's a it's a real groundbreaking moment for them they realize that their whole life they've been in a job or a marriage or a situation where they've been directly against uh, their own deepest inner want their deepest inner drive um and it's yeah. it's quite heartrending when you when you see that um and have those conversations with people but the great thing is they've done it so they can make the yeah. change if they want to make the change you know they can make the change if they want to. That's powerful. And they can also maybe start to see it. Not that <clears throat> it wasn't them that was the problem. It was more the situation, but it was them remaining in the situation, that problem, not knowing themselves. And then they can get out if they want. There was there was another thing you said that really it brought me back to that robot thing that I mentioned, that there is a large chunk that isn't actually you that could be changed. All these things are equal. You just have to decide and we give value to a certain thing. So money might be the most important motivator at one point in time, but it could change to spirit and it can change as easily as you deprogramming that mind, right? And switching your awareness to something else. And so I think that's important to, to mention. And I knew, I usually get a lot of grief when I tell people, well, there are memes that go around on, uh, on social media, like, if you can't have me at my worst and you don't deserve me at my best or, or <laughs> just accept me, this is the way I am. I'm like, well, that doesn't have to be the way you are. You're that way yeah. now because of your experiences, your paradigm. Um, maybe you react a certain way because of it. If you don't want to react that way, again, like you said, you have to want to change it. You could change it. You could override the bad experiences you had and accept them and reprogram yourself to not view them in that threatening manner anymore. So this goes entirely with everything we've talked about. It's so great. And then I guess the question going from this is, is this what you would do for a character? Would you take this, um, and pardon me for saying mind mapping, it should have been motivational mapping. Do you take this motivation map to a degree, maybe not all of them, and how do you apply it to a character when you're writing it to get into their headspace? Because it sounds like that's what an author would need to do. Yeah, that's a great question. And, and no worries, I, I do it myself because mind map rolls off the tongue. It's such a common phrase that we have. And, and in a way, uh, it is a map of the of the mind. But uh, yeah, but the, the motivation as well. And um, I, I yeah, I absolutely use this for characters. And I think uh, one of the things a lot of authors conflate and get confused over is uh, characters having goals versus what really is driving and motivating the character. So this, you know, you say, what, what motivates your character? And they say, oh, this. And they normally, just as in the example, they give a specific example. They say they want to take over the world. Or, Why do they want to take over the world? There's a, there's, a, there's a generic or broader drive under there. Is it the desire for control, for example? Is it the desire for uh, searchers to make a difference? And, and search is one of the brilliant motivators because um, 
uh, my my crazy serial killer villain Smiley is a searcher, I think, uh, because he, um, in his head, he is making a difference. Um, he's making a positive difference. Like the rest of the world doesn't see it that way. They see him as like this crazy psycho killer. But him, he's he's enacting a ritual that's going to save the world. And so um, he's driven, he's like a believer. So uh, bearing that in mind all the time I was writing the character helped me to make him, I think, feel more credible than just your standard loony villain doing evil things for evil reasons. It's like he genuinely is driven by this energy of making a difference. He genuinely believes what he's doing is the right thing. And you can um, make this as complex or as simple as you want. You can do the full nine in order your lowest motivator, by the way, tends to indicate an aversion. So mm. if um, if a director is your lowest, you probably really don't like being controlled, right? Like it, it, right. It's, it's, it, it depends on the scoring and, and there are, there's a lot of detail in how this works. It's a very kind of uh, sure. sophisticated, nuanced thing. But, you know, as a general rule, if, if your lowest motivator will often indicate what you're moving away from. So you're moving towards stuff, but you're also moving away from stuff. And that's an important awareness you need to have too. So you can take it to that level and have the top three motivators, the bottom one, how do all these things interact? And of course, there's the there's the alchemical formula. We've covered like individual motivators, but when you put them together in a profile, they start to do really interesting things. I mean, to give a, if it's not too much to give a personal example, oh, I have friend and spirit in my top three. So that means I want to be free and autonomous and I want to belong and be sociable. So uh, that's obviously a conflict. It pulls me <laughs> multiple ways. And I feel it sometimes. I literally feel I'm like, like, like a rabbit in the headlights sometimes. Like, what do I really want here? Because I've got mm -hmm. both these desires. And I have to, because I'm aware that I'm able to think, right, well, yesterday I did something really social. So today I'm going to take some time for myself. I'm going to, I'm going to meet both of them, uh, but I have to like really consciously think it through. So, um, so there's all that interesting stuff to play with, but if you wanted to keep it simple for now, you could just use like one motivator and build a character is driven by this one motivator. And um, one further thing to say, if you really wanted to take it to like the next level, and I'm always for pushing the, the envelope, uh, you can actually show how your character's motivations change throughout your story and you can map that journey. So you can say, right, they begin the book as a builder, let's say, and they just want money. And then at the end of the book, they have this revelation, they have this change, uh, circumstances and what they go through changes them. And then by the end, they, they kind of change to become a, a searcher, for example, and they want to make a difference uh, to people. So... Um, you, you can do really interesting things um, with this system. And I, I do think it's a, a good way of making your characters feel more three-dimensional because rather than just, well, they need to do this because of the plot or they do this because they're evil. Or uh, right. <laughs> playing into stereotypes. Oh, she's a mother, so she just wants to protect her children, right? You know, the, these, these very basic archetypes that we reuse and reuse and reuse. Well, okay, she is a mother, so she does want to protect her children because, you know, that is an instinct that we have as a species. But then but she's also got this creator motivator. So she wants she wants to 
to, to be original. She wants to solve problems. So how, what's the tension there? The, the, the mother instinct is very protective. It's very non-creative. It's very narrow. But then she's got the... And then you start creating tensions. When you have tension between two things, that's when characters start coming alive, um, or at least in my view. Uh, they said of the character Melmoth the Wanderer and Charles Maturin's masterpiece, gothic masterpiece, that like he was both tempter and tempted and that's why he's such an interesting character like he sold his own soul to the devil and now he goes around getting other people to do the same but he's sorrowful about it because he himself has compromised his own soul yeah so like, that's an interesting character because of that tension and and so you can use the maps to help you build the same kind of level of complexity into your characters as grand old master charles maturin so I like it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. And uh, we, I, we got to put this book linked in the, the comments below because that's super important. And we want to appeal to these readers. And that's, I think that's a great way to do it because sometimes we don't know what we don't know. That, I guess that's the easiest way of saying it. So if you don't understand what some of these motivators are, boom, now you can look at it. You'll be learning about yourself. You'll be learning about characters. Um, so that's an excellent one. Excellent. Just to add, actually, that's very kind to put the link in the description. And actually, if you uh, read the book, there is a secret code in each book to get a free map. So you, oh. you have, if you buy the book, the book is priced at kind of business pricing. So it might be uh, slightly higher than one would normally expect. But um, uh, but it also does include a map. So that is uh, a worthy investment. You get the book, but you also get the... Uh, the, the tool in it as well so that's very cool okay i like mystery codes too <laughs> <laughs> i thought that would appeal to you that's very appealing to me <laughs> oh my goodness well i guess uh, if we are going to segue from um motivation uh, and tie motivation in to polarity because it's it's kind of there's a link there but um, to make it more explicit for people. In the last video, we sneakily touched on the High Priestess tarot card, which I can put up again on the screen, and uh, two pillars either side of her, representing two extremes, the pillar of mercy and the pillar of severity. And this coming from kind of Kabbalah and some of the occult esoteric stuff we've talked about, um, so there is a middle way, as there is a middle winding way through the yin yang, uh, there's a middle pillar, there's a middle path. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about uh, this middle road and what the significance of it is and how this ties back in with writing and everything else we've been. Um, so no, no pressure. Big, big question. Yeah, yeah. Let's see if I can do that. Oof. Oh, this huge, this, it's, it's a beautiful, so the pillars, like the yin and yang, they are a symbol that hopefully in people, um, uh, what am I saying, it conjures up them, it's a good reminder, so what we, I think we talked about wearing like symbols, whether it's jewelry, right, a, a certain ring, or a certain um, necklace, or a certain symbol that reminds us of things, these two pillars with that middle kind of pathway is almost the idea of balance i would say at least that's what i really think of and it's harmony with yourself as you get to know yourself and become more aware as you said one side is severity and the other side is mercy and it's important to recognize that that loop that we have certain bad things are going to happen in your life 
but you don't have to view them as negative, but they are going to happen. To say that, I'm like, oh, I just can't wait. And I, I used to do this, and I don't know if we talked about it before, but I always used to think that when I just got a little bit older, things would get better. Like, mm. oh, when I graduate high school, then I'll be in college or whatever it is you can do. I'll be an adult. It'll be so much easier. And then when you get there, be like, oh, if I just get this next job, then I'll be okay. You th- my motivation was all over the place. I just kept thinking that age was going to fix something. Yeah. Um, like these things that were happening to me were bad, but they never were going to go away. I didn't realize that those things happen so that the good things then can come. So you really have to find that yin and yang, that seed that we were saying. And the balance is, is, is kind of that representation of it, I guess. That middle path is recognizing that there are two sides and that sometimes you have to be more severe and other times, other situations call for having more mercy and vice versa. And so seeing beyond your own perspective can help in this and seeing the bigger picture. Looking back now, and I'm, I'm sure you probably feel the same way, some of the stuff that I thought was the absolute worst that could happen to me have turned out to be the absolute best. Yeah. Um, and, and originally, I'll do have a personal story. We were supposed to have this film a little bit earlier. And what happened was I had some life things that came up. And I was really freaked out. I felt really bad. Not one about just missing our, our being able to do our recording, but these things that were happening, these were becoming one right after another. And at, at some point I had to be like, wait a second. I am not, these are not, these things are not happening to attack me as a person. They're just happening. And I just have to be okay with it. And I have to respond this way in this situation and this way in that one to get through it, to get to my end goal, which whatever that was going to be. So know that these things are always going to happen. It's a flow, it's a circuit. And in the middle, you can see the bigger picture and say, okay, if this is happening now, let me react non-emotionally, if that's what the situation calls for, or give the emotion it warrants it here to get the problem solved and to move forward towards your goal. Um, in, the, in the middle path is also a good reminder when you're writing. So you talked about how to map into a character um, you know, and how to get them motivated. Well, when I write horror, and obviously not everyone watching our stuff is going to be doing horror, but they're going to have villains, and villains have to do bad things. Hmm. And I have to get into a headspace, right, to write as the bad guy, to write some of these things. Like, I've had family members read my work and like, geez, do I need to be worried about you? I'm like, no, 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 no. (laughs) That was a character doing that. I wasn't doing that. So I may have to move out of my middle path for a while which is difficult for me. And I always want to write stories as this middle path kind of guy, which is not what other people want to read about. They want that struggle, that tension that you discuss. If we always just have sit down and have a motivational conversation, like, oh, yeah. I realize we're not channeling. It would be pretty boring, yeah. Because you perceived this word that I used one way and I kind of meant it a different way. Let's talk about that. Like, no, I need to stab you. We need to have a fight. I need to stop (laughs) you. I need to have all these other things going on. So- Move into the headspace of the character, but don't become the character. And then get yourself right back out by realizing, oh, wait, I'm in the middle path. That character went to one side or the other, but I did not. And this could be for the other one. Maybe you have a character that is so loving and caring, and they want to do everything for everybody else, and their character is walked on all the time. You don't maybe necessarily want to be that way in life. Yeah. You know, you don't want to be the doormat for everyone just because you love everyone so much. So get out of the headspace and return back to the middle pillar. So it's a good reminder for that. Mm. And the final one, which I would say, which you already touched on greatly, is that you have moments where you had to go out and be sociable because it's important to you. You also had times where you need to recharge and be alone. 
in your career, you can apply this middle pillar to the reception of, say, news. Mm -hmm. if, um, and I don't mean world news now, but I mean like you get a good bit of news, right? Oh, you're on cloud nine. I had a great review. I got featured in something, that dizzying high that you talked about. Almost like we're so eager. Uh, oh, I'm the best. This is fantastic. <laughs> I love it, right? So don't stay high on that for too long. Realize that it's time to come back to the center point. Um, if you receive bad news, same way. Don't dwell on it for too long. Find the seed that's in it. Recognize that there's a reason for the setback. And then always come back to the middle so you can continue moving forward. If you get too excited about one thing or too down on one thing, you forget the next point. And in writing, just like in life, there's a season for everything. So there is a time period where you have to plant ideas. I've had days where someone asked me what I got done in writing it. And don't feel bad about this. I'm like, you know, gosh, I don't know if I really did anything today. I literally like walked and paced my room. I cleaned and thought about things and not a single idea percolated, but I planted stuff, right? And maybe they'll develop later. So there's a time for planting the ideas. There's a time for grueling hours behind the screen, typing. There's a time for that. And then there's a time for celebration. And there's a time for promoting yourself. And then there's a time for reflection. And then you repeat. And you get into this season and you do it. And you need to recognize that that is, that's severity and that's mercy. And that's the connection of the circuit going. Because quite honestly, I don't love hours and hours of editing my stuff. It sucks, <laughs> right? Like I've read it my sucks. story eight times. I don't want to do it anymore, but there's a time for that. So that's important. And when I'm writing the story, I'm not out there self-promoting and talking about the story. I don't want to talk about a work before it's done. I've done that in the past and it was foolish for me for certain reasons. And so don't do something when you should be doing something else. And if you're a full-time writer, you might be cycling through this in a week. And you really have to start to balance your jobs. If I spend too much time on one thing, have you seen that meme? I think it's a uh, Harry Potter. I forget his name now, but the kid grown up, right? And he's got like two guns and he's in a bathrobe on the street. Oh, oh yeah, like you Daniel Radcliffe. You know what movie it is. It's Kimbo. That, that, that screenshot oh, is from yeah. the movie Guns Akimbo where he gets... Um, he gets pistols like surgically attached to his hands. Um, oh, like, okay. It's such a brilliant meme. Is like, it brilliant? I, I, I well, okay. I, I don't. I haven't seen the film, but the meme is brilliant. And I, I almost I wish it, yeah. that it was real. Like I almost wish that was just Daniel Radcliffe gone down the plug hole. <laughs> like, yeah. So you see him as like this normal guy, and then you see him as like this crazed dude with the two guns <laughs> from a kid. And I'm thinking to myself, if I sit in front of the screen writing for too long, I look like, like I walk out and I'm like, the, the coffee cup is shaking in my hand. The hair is everywhere. And I'm like, oh, what's happened in the world for the last three days? It's like, no, you can't do that. I got to have a time for writing and a time to whew, society again. And, and you, if you spend too much time on one task, something else suffers. And so it's just a good idea. It's a mental visual representation of saying, I want to always come back to balance. When things go bad, when they go good, come back to center, appreciate everything, and then always come back so you can find your balance. And that, I think, is the best representation without getting into like some metaphysical, esoteric mm. ritual work that you could do. Um, and we're, we're doing well at that, I think, of balancing and saying, like, here's some very physical work that you can do in the real world yeah. that's esoteric and occult without getting too far into what some people would call the, the 
mumbo jumbo or the (laughs) weird stuff like i don't know if i want to be you know doing rituals but it's really the same thing and there's kind of a creative aspect to us that is we believe in magic we believe in all this stuff and the middle pillar and the high priestess card gives us a great visual for our mental um creative side Mm -hmm. and then our logical side can be that other aspect that we lean on like okay I know all this woohoo can work, but I still need to do work in the real world. So I need to do my motivational map. I need to take some of these tests. I need to write myself out a to-do list, prioritize and find out about myself. And again, it's, it's always on the big scale and on the small scale, the macro and the micro. And that's your guys's word for 2022 balance. I would say yeah. balance more than anything. That, that's so awesome. And um, just, well, I can't add to that because you've so brilliantly summarized it, but, but just to, um, to offer a, a, a kind of slice of, uh, a slice of reality, as it were, uh, I think one of the hardest and most unexpected lessons I ever learned um, going down the kind of esoteric path was when I reached a certain point where I thought, you know, like I re- I reached what I, I felt was like the height of a mystical mountain, shall we say, you know, I thought mm-hmm. I'm now having some experiences and opened up to some things that are pretty, pretty cosmic. And, um, but the lesson that I really took from all of that really was actually, I had to go all the way up to that top of that mountain to kind of actually realize that now I have to go back down and keep living my life like you don't just vanish into the cloud like Ezekiel you 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 kind of have to come back down and and but it wasn't like a sad thing it it was actually like a good thing it was it was like now I am uh now I am balanced and I will never kind of shirk the physical world or the material world again you know I hated the material world really as a kid it was like as you I was looking one day I'll escape from this. Like, I don't know, one day I'll, so- I'll somehow get out of it, <laughs> like Matrix style, they'll, un- they'll unplug me and I won't have to deal with this anymore. But actually I went on that journey to, to get that unplug. And, and what I realized was actually what, what I have is, is, is amazing. And now I'm, now I'm going to properly attend to my, my material world. That, that makes me think of... Um... Uh, saying what was it so the occultists for those who are watching should have their feet on the ground and their head in the clouds if i can mm. remember that like trying to walk that to cloud being the spiritual and then feet being the physical mm. and you said it that's perfect um i love it i love that quote too well i think we've um given some people uh, giving people some tools for for you know exploring this process of depolarization and finding out where other people are coming from and maintaining balance. I love balance being the word for 2022. <laughs> yes, please. Uh, that would be amazing. And uh, I guess we should leave it there and see what is in store for episode three of Magical Writing. Sounds good. Thank you again. I appreciate everyone joining us. Bye for now.